Good morning. Good to see all of you today. Glad you joined us. I believe that God has something for all of us today as we're open to Him. A big shout out to Garen Forsyth for filling in last week for me and, uh, and just adding to that another layer to that whole idea of how moving from how, how law and grace work together and the progression that we see through the Bible. And maybe uh, I trust it gave you another level of understanding about how the Old Testament culture was so different than today, and so we're running it through a different lens and a grid. And so I hope that was helpful for you. I know as Garen and I interacted and chatted about that, it, it, I was, it resonated with me that it would be very helpful to hear those things. Um, thank you for praying for my daughter-in-law, Christy, back in South Carolina, still facing surgery and, and chemo for her for her cancer and um, haven't started on that yet. And um, what, what Ashley said about being a fixer, being in control, all of you are a bunch of control freaks. I know you. And uh, uh, we, we're like that and we want to control things in our lives. And it's times like 29 weeks for Ashley and a daughter-in-law with cancer that you understand just how little control you really have in life and how much we need God and how that our, our faith walk is um, all of a sudden we realize how important that is it, it just gets bumped up to a whole nother level so again thanks for your prayers also working on kitchen renovation back at the house we're going into that might be a prayer request as well as my wife and I work on that on a different kind of level, if any of you have ever survived one of those. Uh, we're in act, act two of our story. These were three acts that I've put together. Act one was the nation of Israel from Genesis 12 through the resurrection of Jesus. Today we're looking, at, we're in act two, which is uh, the time after Jesus res, was resurrected and ascended in heaven. And we start what we call today, or some people call the church age. This is where we are living today. We're in what I'm calling Act 2. Act 2 is not in the Bible, but this is the second act of God. There is a third act of God coming that's going to be the end times. That's in March. I'm going to talk about that, so we'll get there. Uh, just remember I talked about how Israel is on the, is on the bench now. They're, they're out of the game. They're waiting. They're going to get plugged back in. And we see the story through the book of Acts. Lots of parallels to uh, the nation of Israel, 12 disciples, 12 sons of Israel, Holy Spirit coming, uh, the birthday of the church in Acts 2. Then in Acts 8, the church was scattered to grow through persecution God always grows us through pain. It's a principle of life. It just happens that way. It's not all hugs and kisses and chocolate and, you know, it's just not. So, uh, Acts 10, uh, we see the personification of God breaking down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles in the Gentile Cornelius, who God brought into the plan of God. And, and, and as representative for all of us Gentiles, that the, the gateway was open for us to be part two. And then we talked about up to the present time how God is building his church. Today and next Sunday, I want to talk about the, can I leave it up in epistles? And we're going to do Romans through Jude in two Sundays. <laughs> and then we're going to have end time stuff, which is the, uh, we'll move that to Acts chapter three, act, act, the third act in our story. So. 
Think back with me, and, I want, and you can think this time because we, we, we think apart from the Old Testament and New Testament for this series because it kind of, Act 1 bleeds over into the New Testament. But thinks with me, think with me just about the New Testament right now. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four Gospels, four Gospels. They're all accounts of the life of Jesus. And so they're all historical narrative. And then you get the book of Acts, which is also historical narrative, and that is the beginning of the church, and we could break that into two halves, basically. The first half is uh, wrapped around the character Peter. The second half is around the character of Paul. They're built on those foundations. Those are the primary characters in the book of Acts. Then we come to 22 what we call epistles or letters. Romans through Jude, and again, Revelation is going to be in Act 3. These are letters that were written from one person to another or one person to a group of people. The first 13 of these were written by the Apostle Paul. We call these the Pauline epistles. And the other nine were written by other men than Paul, and we call them the general epistles. There's general, general epistles, I don't know, general epistles, and they lump them all together that way. I didn't make that up. That's just really, somebody else did that. Uh, but they're all the same in that they are directed to the church. They are all directed to the ecclesia, the gathering of people, not a building, not an organization, but the gathering of God's people who are like-minded and like, have the same kind of heart for God. So, I want to be clear about this. They, they are for the people who are part of the family of God who have already surrendered to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus. So, these 22 books are not written for unbelievers, but for those who have already believed. And one word that we will see over and over again in the epistles, or you will as you read them, I'm not reading through all of them this morning, I wouldn't have time to, uh, you will see over and over again is the word saint. S-A-I-N-T, saint. Now, when we hear saint, we think of what the Catholic Church says about saints, which is an elect group of people who did miracles and were kind of that upper tier of Christians. When you see the word saint in the Bible, it doesn't mean that. It means anybody. Anybody who's been born again. Anybody who's a child of God. Any person who is a Christian by the biblical definition is a saint. And so over and over again, we see this in this. And so again, thinking big picture, this unfolding drama of God. Remember I said there's all through the Bible, we see two things. We see there's a unity to the Bible, but there is progress. And that's what Garen unwrapped for you last week. The progressive nature in the Bible that you can really see against the backdrop of a ruthless culture in the Old Testament and the change that you see as we go through the Bible, the progressive nature. We're going to see that, I think, in, in setting the stage for understanding the epistles. I think it's helpful for us to think about the progressive nature of the Bible. And I want to do this today, and, and stay engaged with me because you've got to keep thinking this morning. I know that's hard. I hope you have enough caffeine in you to do that. Um, but I want to do that today by thinking through some biblical characters. And I want to start with Abraham. What did Abraham have? Well, 
Abraham had a couple things. He had an understanding of God, and the Bible tells us he was justified by faith. That's what Abraham had. Now, he may have had more than that, but that's kind of basically what I see that he had. Was that enough? Yeah, it, he was a child of God. Father Abraham, we, we heart back to Abraham. We plan to see Abraham in heaven. Uh, we think of him as one of the heroes of our faith, for he is one. Move forward to David. Think about King David. Killed Goliath. Uh, was persecuted by King Saul, but eventually became king. And all. What did King David have? What did he have? Did he have more than Abraham? Well, yes, he, he, had, he had the same things that Abraham had. He had an understanding of God. He was justified by faith, but he had more. He had the law. He had the sacrificial system. He had the tabernacle with the very presence of God. Is this progress? I think it is. Think about another Bible character. Think about Peter. What did Peter have? Did he have what Abraham had? Yeah, he had an understanding of God. He was justified by faith. He has more and different than David. Better, I would say. He was justified by faith, but he also saw Jesus. He, he had the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus. He had the Holy Spirit living within him after the day of Pentecost. He was even a miracle worker in the name of God. Is this progress? I think it's better than what David had. I think it's better than God living in the tabernacle. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, God Himself, lives within us. We're seeing progress, aren't we? Now I think we are. Let's think about the early church. What did the ecclesia, and this was a big deal. Remember, I spent all that time talking for Matthew 16 where Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to build my church. God says He's going to do it. Not you and I. He's going to do it. It is not a you must. It's a God saying, I will. It's an act of grace that God says He's going to build the church. And it's an act of grace that you and I get to be a part of the ecclesia, the gathering of people in the name of Jesus. What did the early church have? Did they have more than Abraham? Yeah. Did they have more than David? Yeah. They had all that Peter had, and they had the, the fellowship of believers. They had the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They cared for one another. There was a generous spirit. They were witnessing everywhere with great power, and there was unity. Ever seen a church like that? You ever seen a church like that? I've never seen a church like that. I've seen glimmers of it. I've never seen a church like that. I want to go to a church like that. Do I believe a church like that can happen? Yeah. Has that been a goal? I sure hope it has been. I don't think we, we get there very much, and I'm not singling you. I, I would say the church across America, and I can't speak for the rest of the world, we don't get there as much as we ought to. So, I, I digress. Um, they had all of that. 
And I just said, I'd love to be a part of a church like that. And you'd love to be a part of a church like that. And we want our church to be that kind of church more and more. And I don't want to lose our initiative in trying to do that. And I believe that your best days are yet to come. And God is going to keep moving you that way. And maybe one day you'll become that church. And I'll move back from South Carolina just because I want to go here. But if they had all that... I say, I say all this to bring us to the point, what about the epistles? If the early church had all of that, why do we need, why did they need, why do we need these epistles? Or, said another way, why do we need the rest of the New Testament? Why doesn't it just stop at the book of Acts and say, y'all got it, you're good. You know, that's it. Why do, we, why, do we have, why do we have the epistles? Why do we have Romans and 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all of that? Why do we have that? You know, I think there's some churches that, that, that don't need the epistles. Tongue in cheek, not really. They act as though they don't need the epistles. You know why I say that? Because you go to church in some of these churches once and they tell you how to get saved. And so you get saved, and you give your life to the Lord, and you come back next Sunday, what do they do? Different text, same theme. They tell you how to get saved. Come back the next Sunday, they, same, different text, same theme. They tell you how to get saved. Now, hear me. I want you to hear me very carefully on this. People, people need God. People are born, born lost. All of us are born lost and dead in trespasses and sin, and everybody has to come to that place where we yield our lives to Christ, we're born again, we're saved, we're transformed, we're adopted in the family of God, whatever you want to call it. Use any verbiage you want, but everybody has to come to that point and needs to come to that point, and if there was only one message that I could preach, and if you told me I could only preach one message, that would be it, because that is the greatest thing in the world. The greatest thing in the world is for people to find God, and the scariest thing for me is to know people that don't know God. So, it's, it's, it's very, very important. So don't misunderstand me on this. And we have to always keep that outward focus because there are always people still finding God today, this year. I know people who have made commitments to Christ this year. But, the fact is, there's so much more to the Christian life than just salvation. You see, we need to think of salvation not as a finish line. We need to think of salvation as the starting line. It's just the starting line of a journey with God. That's the, uh, got a whole race in front of you. Salvation is just the beginning. It's not the end. It's the starting point. So, we need to do more than just preach, give your life to God every week. Not because that's not important, but because there is more to the journey and more to the experience. And I believe that's why the New Testament did not end with the book of Acts. So, if we characterize the epistles in a general way, they're not about how to become a Christian. Remember, they're written to the church. They're written to people who are already in the family of God. 
What are they for? They're, they're, we call them epistles or letters, but they're not like letters, you know, people used to write to one another. We don't write many letters anymore. It's, uh, it's nice to get a letter, though. Isn't it nice? Every once in a while you get a letter from somebody that's handwritten, and you open it. I mean, it's like, compared to text and email, it's like pretty precious. But this is, the, this is not that kind of letter. It's not just somebody telling you what happened at Lake Wobegon, you know? Um, and it may sound like heresy to you today, but if you think through the epistles, they don't say very much about reading your Bible or praying or even evangelism. And I just told you how important that is. All these things are important, but that's not really the purpose of the epistles. And it's also a reminder that's why we read the whole Bible not just the epistles, because the whole Bible is profitable to us to teach us and to keep us balanced and growing in our spiritual lives. So, if I were to ask you today, why do you think we have the epistles? Why did the Holy Spirit move on holy men of God in yesterday for them to record these things for us today? Why do we have them? Ever thought about that? Probably not. It's worth thinking about. Now, now keep your brain engaged. Keep thinking with me. Remember what I said about the early church. Remember all that they had? Why do we have the rest of the New Testament? I think there's a, a twofold purpose for the epistles. First, God is giving us His interpretation of what happened when we were saved. He's telling us who He is. He's telling us who we are. He is unwrapping and unfolding for us gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God that we have. Receive? We never. Hear me. Hear me. This journey, this epistle, you come to faith through the gospel of Jesus and we live by grace. We're saved by grace. But we live. We live out the life of God, the gospel of God, and we live out in the grace of God. That is going to be the rest of our Christian experience. So what he does, I believe in the epistles, is he unfolds and unwraps what grace and gospel what God, who God is, who we are, and how He has woven this together. And some of you maybe came to Christ and you didn't have a, a lot of background and understand a lot of the Bible. And so you're, after you came to Christ, you wonder, well, what happened to me? <laughs> what is this? How did I get my mind around this? I believe the epistles was, were given to the early church and to us to help us understand Theologians have a word for that. They call that doctrine. Doctrine. The second purpose for the epistles is how to apply his interpretation of our salvation to every area of life. Theologians have a real fancy word for this. They call it application. Application. And I think it's important. 
I think it's important because I think if we were left to our guesses, we would stumble around with limited knowledge and the old man still pulling at us to go back to the old way of life. We need the epistles. Just thought of a verse this morning, 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. We sang about that this morning, God's firm foundation. Sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are His. That would be doctrine, kind of. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. That's application. That's kind of what I'm talking about in, in one verse. So, so hear me today. Thinking big picture again. If, if our church is going to flourish, if we are going to flourish individually and corporately, now, I'm not just going to take this slice, but remember what I said about the gospel? We're going to have to stay outward focused. We're going to have to care for people who are not yet in the family of God. Because God does. The only commission we call great is the one to go and make disciples. Okay? That's been given to us, and that is still true. And we have to keep that outward focus. And we have to keep helping people as much as we can from our side of the equation, do every, use all the resources and all the abilities that we have to communicate the hope, the good news of the gospel to Jesus, to help them get into a relationship and to get into the family and get into the race. And so they can get into the race. They can start the journey with God. And it's important then, then the epistles become important. It's important to understand what God has done in and for us at salvation, who God is, who we are. And it's important that we learn how to live a life that is guided and directed by God Almighty. And so when we get to the epistles, He doesn't just give us hints of what He wants us to do. He tells us what He wants us to do. We'll see that in just a minute. Let me give you an illustration of this. The book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is, an, is, a, is a neat book because it kind of breaks in half. The first three chapters are doctrine. They're, they're telling us about who we are in Christ and who God is and who we are and how gospel and grace is all woven together in this package. That's doctrine. Now, let me, let me just read this, and I want you, as I read this, I want you to be thinking, think, think with me. What is God telling us that He has done for us in this passage? Starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He has made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put in effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So, what, what did God do for us? 
Well, he, he tells us here. He, he blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him to be holy and blameless. He predestined us to be adopted. He has freely given us his glorious grace. He's lavished on us all wisdom and understanding. That's his doctrine. If we've had time to go to chapter 2, he could say, You were dead in trespasses and sin, and he made us alive, and he raised us up in Christ. Most of the verbs in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are past tense about what God has already done. We need to understand that. On it goes. He unwraps all of this, the wonderful things that he has for us that has a, has a, a theological foundation. It's not just some kind of vague thinking in my head. It's, it's founded. It's on a firm foundation. This is who God is and this is what God wants. Chapters 4 through 6 are application. Now, he want, it tells us how he wants us to live out these truths. How do we live them? Well, chapter 4, just a few verses. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and patient, gentle, excuse me. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's just three verses. How does he want us to live it out? He says, well, I want you to live a life that's worthy of me. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? (laughs) Just live a life worthy of God. That's all. (laughs) Be humble and gentle. Be patient, bear with others, make every effort to work for peace. And that's just the first three verses of one chapter. Just in chapter 4, I could go on. He's going to tell us to tell the truth and don't hold on to anger. and Quit stealing and work hard and be generous to those in need. And, and don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Be kind and compassionate and forgiving. And that's just one chapter. I don't know what God wants me to do. Yeah, you do. Just read your Bible. It tells you. I don't know how I should live. Yeah, you do. Read your Bible. He tells you. It's there. You know, where you, you know, well, I haven't, I've never been to seminary. I've stu- never studied theology. Can you understand forgiveness? Can you understand humility? Can you be patient? Oh, can you be patient? That's a hard one. I think we have the epistles because God has so much more for us than just wanting us to be adopted into His family and to start the race. He wants to tell us, for us to understand what the race is and then how to make progress for Him. So, I believe the epistles can be characterized in two ways. There's doctrine, which is God's interpretation of salvation. It is our foundation. It is our foundation. Someone has said, give me a place to stand and I'll move the world. Now, that's a little bit audacious, but hear me. We need a place to stand. We need a foundation. The doctrine that God gives us is from the heart of a good God. He wants us to know. He wants us to understand But he doesn't want us to stop there. Then the second part is application, how to apply this. He wants us to do it. It's not worth very much 
to know all about God and have it stored up on a shelf somewhere in your brain and carrying it around and just be a big head (laughs) just for God. God wants us to do. He wants us to be His hands and His feet, and He tells us what He wants us to do. He doesn't leave us to guess, He tells us. And that, my friends, is what it means, I think, when the Bible says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. So, just an example here. And you can do this with almost every epistle in the New Testament. They have a doctrine component and they have an application component. God is telling us what He has done, who He is, and we need to understand Him and we need to understand our identity in Christ. But then we need to act. We need to do. We need to live this out. And this is, not a, this is not an isolated theme. Again, there is always progress in the Bible, but there's always unity to the Bible. What did it say in Jeremiah 17.10? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So this faith is not just a general, I believe in God and I have faith and everything's hunky-dory. It's like, yeah, but it should be moving you somewhere. What did Jesus say in the upper room discourse? If you love me, if you have faith in me, if you're my child, you will obey what I command. Another verse. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in His love. He's saying, I'm an example to you. I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done myself. I have lived in this obedient relationship to the Father and now you live in this obedient relationship to me. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So you see, the epistles are really important. You know, got the book of Acts and it got us all started and it got the disciples going and it got the early church going, but they needed more. They needed good doctrine. They needed to understand. That's why we have the epistles. They needed to know what it looks like being fleshed out. And God has not danced around with this. He's made it very clear what He wants us to do. So we ought to be diligent to this, those of us who know God. Every person here who knows God is a saint in the biblical sense. We ought to be diligent to live this way. So, the question is this, and I want you to kind of carry this with you this week, and and I'm going to try to answer this week. I don't know how you feel, but when I read those first few verses of Ephesians 4, live a life worthy, be completely humble, gentle, patient, always work to build unity. I don't know about you, but I feel like that bar is... It's up there. That's a high bar, isn't it? How can any man or woman live that way? How can we live that way? And that's why there's two parts to me talking about the epistles. So if you want to find that out, you have to come back next week. Because I do believe this. 
that's been on my mind a lot with my daughter-in-law. And that's this. Our faith, our faith has to work in the real world. It has to work in our very real lives. Or else our faith isn't real. And all this in this book that I live by and you try to live by, we, we might as well throw it out. If it's not real, in the real world and in our real lives. I'm firmly convinced that it is. I believe that. Here I stand. Here I stand. Let's stand together. As always, if I can help you with your spiritual journey, some of you may just be at that starting line of yielding your life to God and following Him. Love to chat with you about that. Most important decision a man or woman ever makes. Father in heaven, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that you've given it to us to bring light to our path so that we can know how to honor you and please you. You love us so much, you've given us a God, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.